0: So we're reading out of, out of the book of John, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to John chapter 4, John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. We're going to read it out loud in just a moment. Um, I am kind of fascinated with bouldering. I mean, it's something that comes up every now and again. When I was in college, one of the things that they did... Uh, was they, they told you about all the things that your tuition paid for. And they're like, make sure you take advantage of all these things. This was in North Carolina. They had a rock rock climbing wall. Uh, you would belay, it was not free climbing, but it was like, do this thing because you've already paid for it, it's free. It's not free, it's very expensive. It's part of your tuition, uh, but do it, it's a lot of fun. And so it, it's really interesting The people who become interested in rock climbing and their build, they tend to be really skinny, lanky people with gigantic like Popeye forearms. And their hands that can like crush uh, steel pipes. I mean, just interesting people. It's a fascinating sport, especially those who who, who free climb without any sort of harnesses. They practice with like a, a pad, and they're just hanging like little spider monkeys. It's it's quite it's uh, impressive. Uh, and and do you want to know how often I go bouldering? Um, never. Times a year, <laughs> because. Uh, although it's fascinating, I don't personally have faith for it. <laughs> uh, that's putting it in very Christianese terms. I mean, even talking about it right now, my hands are sweating, which is not ideal for free bouldering. I mean, I don't know how, how much chalk would be required to make it a safe thing for me. Um, but sometimes it's funny because we approach Jesus the same way. And maybe you approach Jesus with a level of fascination, of, of interest. Uh, Who is this, this guy that, that we've heard about. I mean, every Easter, uh, you, you go to the, the grocery store and there's now like G- National Geographic Jesus. And it's this, you know, blonde or, or you know, lightly brown, delicate faced, you know, man who clearly has never seen a day of work in his life. And you're like, oh, wow, Jesus. The world is, is fascinated in many respects with Jesus. They're interested in him. But there's a huge difference between fascination with Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus. And so today I want us to read a a passage that exemplifies that distinction. And I'd invite you to consider where you are on the the range of of fascination to faith. John's going to call us to not fascination, but to faith. So stand with me as we prepare to read the Word of God together. We're going to read out of, as I said, John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. Are the words up there? Okay, good. Um, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judah to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told them that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judah to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, who is your radiant uh, image, who is the, the imprint of your nature, who shows us the Father, who by the power of the Spirit ministers grace to us. And God, I pray that That by your word here, by the words of your Apostle John, that we would move from places of fascination with Jesus to to real faith in him. That we would apprehend him as our Savior, not just a a helpful uh, tool to accomplish our own purposes, to achieve our own agendas, but God, that we would be submitting to him as Savior of the world, of Lord of all. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move uh, among those in this congregation, those present right now, and that you would grant faith. That by hearing the word, we would believe the word. That we would move beyond interest in power, interest in, in convenience, to believing the testimony about who Jesus is. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. John invites us, as I said, to go from a worldly fascination with Jesus to real faith in Jesus. And in this passage, I want us to consider four R's. First, we'll talk about the return to Cana. Then, we'll hear about the request from the official. And we'll look at Jesus' response. And finally, we'll consider the result. The return to Cana, the request of the official, the response of Jesus, and the result. So Jesus has returned to Cana in Galilee, the place of his first miracle. If you were here last week, we talked about the miracle where Jesus goes and he turns the water into wine. He's at this wedding feast and and his mother comes and she wants him to do something for her. We're not exactly sure what her agenda is it's entirely possible that she's trying to bolster his his uh, profile, maybe kind of build his his followers, his likes. Uh, but we know that she she kind of asks this bold request, hey, they don't have any more wine. And he responds, not mother, not my sweet, dear mama. But he says, woman, which is a respectful thing, but it's, it's a term of distance in this case. And he says, basically, um, I, I cannot be subject to your agenda. But being Jesus, being, being the faithful, loving son that he is, he does grant her request. They have water that turns into wine. There's this amazing sign that happens. And so Jesus is now back from his various things. So what's happened since this first miracle? Well, if you go back to chapter 2 which I'll do very, very briefly, we see that Jesus goes to the temple to celebrate Passover, and he cleanses the temple. What does that mean? He doesn't go and, and pick up a, a broom and start sweeping. No, he he drives out the commerce that's happening in the temple. Now, the temple was a place of sacrifice, and during Passover, people would bring their, their sin sacrifices, their sacrifices for the sake of, of cleansing, and and to honor and obey the word of God. But what had happened is the marketplace, which was supposed to be outside the temple which was a place where if you came from far away you didn't have to bring your own you know livestock but you could bring some money and buy livestock that would then be sacrificed had kind of crept into the temple and had taken over the places where people were supposed to be worshiping and what had been a place of worship had now become a place of commerce and so Jesus he cleanses the temple. Then he has this interesting conversation with a guy named Nicodemus who is a teacher of the law, and he's supposed to know some things, and and Jesus invites him into this New Testament reality. So Jesus is beginning to do ministry. Uh, He he interacts with John the Baptist, um, who testifies about Jesus, and then finally he goes to this place called Samaria, and this is a bit of a left turn. So up to this point, we're saying, okay, this makes some sense. Jesus is cleansing the temple, He's, he's interacting with these people, he's teaching But he goes to this place, Samaria, where the Samaritans were a group that had been an offshoot of the Jews, but they had intermarried with with foreign nations, and they were considered half-breeds and religiously dirty. They were unclean. So much so that people would take a longer route to go around Samaria in order to avoid these people. There was some racial uh, uh, prejudice there. It was it was a place that a good Jewish boy would not go. And, and the word says that, that Jesus had to go there. He had to go there. And so he goes to Samaria. He goes and sits at a well around noontime. And he has a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Also very taboo at this time for him a single Jewish man to speak to this woman who he did not know, a Samaritan woman. He has this conversation with her and it begins to be about religion and Jesus dives in and touches her heart and says, actually, this is what's going on in your life. How often does, does that happen? That you approach God and you, you give a, a facade and then God says, what about this thing right here? And then you're weeping and it's, it's really bad and you're embarrassed, but it's a good thing because God is addressing your heart. And so God addresses this Samaritan's woman, her heart, he offers her life and salvation and she goes and she tells everyone. All the people that had, we, we believe, probably uh, had, had treated her like an outsider were now listening to her testimony and they were saying, wow, th- this guy, he might be the Messiah, the chosen one, the one that God promised to send to bring salvation to his people. And then Jesus comes himself and he ministers to them for a couple days and and it goes from them believing her words to believing his words. It says in verse 39 of chapter 4: Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed with their, he stayed there in Samaria for two days. And many more believed because of their because of his word. So we see that Jesus progresses in his ministry, and he's doing signs and wonders. In in chapter 2, John doesn't tell us the specific signs, but he tells us that he does other signs. But here in Samaria, the focus is not on signs, but the word of God, the word of Jesus Christ. And so we see that a lot has happened, and and Jesus goes from Samaria to Cana of Galilee. Um, And if we were hearing the story of, of, of this whole progression in one sitting, Jesus' encounter with the Samaritans would be fresh in our mind. So we see that he returns. And what's the request that we get? Let's look at um, verses 46 and 47. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man had heard that Jesus had come from Galilee, or sorry, come from Judea to, to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal this son Heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So who is this official? He's likely uh, someone who works for the royal court. The word can mean either a royal official, as in uh, a member of royalty, or someone who works on behalf of royalty. But he's a high-level official, someone who kind of knows what power feels like. He knows what authority looks like. And so his, ref- his request kind of reflects that, right? He, sa- he doesn't say, Jesus, can you help me? Hey, sir, c- do you have a moment? No, he says, come with me. It says, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. Almost like he was saying, hey, you over there, come. I've got somewhere I need you to go. You come with me. And it seems like a simple request. And it goes on, and we go from the request to the response. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, if that doesn't make your head go sideways, then I, I, would, I would invite you to use your imagination. This man, he's come up to Jesus, and he's, he's probably upset. He's, he's a man of, of, of stature, and there's an expectation that, hey, Jesus is this, this healer. He does miracles, and he goes and he says, my son is ill. And what does Jesus say? He's like, ugh, unless you don't see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. What? He doesn't say to him. Okay, I, I, I have compassion for your son who is ill. I mean, ill to the point of death. He doesn't say, oh yeah, where is he? Let's go. No, he, he almost, it seems like Jesus is complaining. He's certainly bemoaning this man's response. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, when you come across things like that in the Bible, which feel like a verbal um, speed bump, you're like, whoa, what was that? You ever done that? You're like, you ignore the speed bumps that are there, and then it happens, and you're like, I see why they call it a speed bump. <laughs> it's an invitation to dig deeper. Is Jesus just a mean guy? I mean, we looked at that in the last chapter, or the last uh, uh, sermon, where, where Jesus said to the, his, his mother, woman? And, and we thought to ourselves, well, that's not how I would have talked to my mom. I mean, I may have done that as a teenager, but I remember what that resulted in. And so we had to dig a little bit deeper to find out what was going on in that situation. Well, this is another one of those situations. Why does Jesus respond this way? It's not because Jesus is a mean guy. We know that Jesus is a good guy. There has to be something else. And so as I as I dug into this, I, I, I discovered two things. First of all, when Jesus, when you look at what it says, it says in verse 48. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, sometimes your Bible will, in this case it doesn't, your Bible will let us know when the you you is plural, right? English is great in a lot of ways and terrible in a lot of ways. In this case, the you there, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. The you there is plural. So all of a sudden we find out, oh, Jesus is not just talking to this guy, but there's people he's addressing, the Galileans he's addressing. Okay, well, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper. What's going on? Well, let's, let's back up. If you're not sure what's going on in the context, look, what, look at what happens before and after, and maybe that gives you a picture. And so let's look at verse 43. Af, right after, right after uh, the Samaritans believe Jesus because of his word, it says this. After two days, he departed for Galilee. Okay, so Jesus is leaving Galilee. Everyone's tracking at this point. It says in verse 44, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Okay, well that's weird. So Jesus is going to Galilee, which is an area in which Nazareth is. So it, it's, John is kind of using this in broad terms to say that Jesus is going back to the place of his hometown almost to, to prove a point that, that a prophet does not have honor in his own hometown. But then, if you read verse 45, it says this. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. What? So he says in verse 44 that Jesus is going to Galilee in order to show that he doesn't receive honor. And then in verse 45, we see that they welcomed him. It almost seems like they're giving him honor. But if we keep reading, it says that the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had gone to the feast as well. It's talking about the feast of the Passover in chapter 2, and we see that Jesus did a lot of signs. So as we begin to put the pieces together, Jesus is talking to a group of people who have welcomed him because they heard the buzz. Have you heard about this guy? He did some cool stuff. I heard he turned six huge Buckets into wine. Did you hear about what he did at the feast? I, I I heard he did these really awesome things. Let's let's go find out about this. It's almost kind of this paparazzi buzz that begins to to happen, and they wanna they wanna brush up against it. They wanna find out more. They want to see him do something neat. Maybe maybe he'll pull a rabbit out of his hat. They weren't believing in Jesus they weren't honoring him as a prophet who speaks on behalf of God they were they were fascinated with him as a miracle worker as someone who did unique interesting things so as you begin to think about it that way listen to the words that Jesus says now imagining this man and and a crowd around him unless you see signs and wonders you will not believe it's an indictment of their lack of faith in his word He responds, but the man is not deterred because he's a good dad, right? I mean, you can call me what you want right now, but I need your help. Verse 49, he says, sir, come down before my child dies. Come down before my child dies. What parent wouldn't say, please, come down before my child dies. And Jesus says, go, your son will live. It's worth noting that, that the, the official, he speaks with authority. We don't know, like I said, much about him, but we know that it seems he feels comfortable directing this man. He feels comfortable saying, you go here. You don't, you don't act that way unless you feel like you're walking with a level of authority. You don't tell people what to do unless you feel like you have the authority to do so. How often do we try to get Jesus on our own agendas? How often do we relate to this word as not, not God speaking to us? Like, I, I loved that, that song that we sang where it said, you know, everything that exalts itself must bow. And my temptation in my own heart is to say, yeah, all those things that exalt themselves must bow. When I, I feel like most of the times God's saying, no, all the things that exalt themselves above. Above God, must bow. Eddie, you must bow. Does our approach with Jesus evidence faith in him as God or focus on him as a tool to improve our own lives? Now, the man was not pursuing something wrong. It was fine for him to come to Jesus and say, please heal my son. What was not fine was for him to not acknowledge that Jesus was not just a miracle worker, but these signs were intended to evidence the fact that he was God. And yet Jesus, he doesn't rebuke or correct him at this point, but he does heal the son. Um, he says, "Go, your son will live." So he does two things. One, he he disregards the man's agenda. He, I'm not going with you. You don't you don't tell me what to do. I mean, I'm, that's going to be the basis of this relationship. You don't tell Jesus what to do. But how gracious is Jesus? I mean, I, I know in my own life, people have asked me for things, and they've asked in a way where it was kind of like, you do this. And the vindictiveness in my own soul has been like, no! And maybe I was in the situation and, and the place to be able to say no. And I've found myself saying, you know what, I don't have to. But what does Jesus do? He, does, he doesn't do that. He, he, he allows this man to be reoriented because he needs to be reoriented, right? It's never good for us to think that, that we're in the place of God or we have authority over God. So he corrects that. He says, Go. But he also says, Your son will live. He's merciful. He's merciful. And that's that's good news for me. <laughs> I don't know about you. I, I don't know how many times I've related to God trying to get him on my page. And how good is it that he doesn't just say, I'm done? Nobody reminds us, he says, I've got a page for you. We're going to get on this page. He doesn't say, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to ball this up and throw it away. And he doesn't say, okay, let me get on your page. Let me do what you want me to do. You can be God, I'm not going to be God. No, he says, I'm God, but i got a page for you. Get on my page. He's answering. He answers in a different way. And he answers in a loving way. And then this is this is this is the turning point of the story. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. You see, he Jesus was not allowing this man to stay where he was. You know, I, I did these things. I invited Jesus. I told him what to do. He came into the house and he performed a miracle, like I knew he would. I'm a great guy. Got my son healed. No, in that moment, Jesus said, you listen to me, you believe me, and I'll move. And he had an opportunity either to not believe or to believe. It was no longer, God was saying, Jesus was saying, we're no longer going to base your trust in me on the foundation of a miracle. You're going to have to start walking. And every step is going to be a step of faith. You're going to have to walk back. And family, sometimes you're going to be in a situation where you know exactly what the word of God says. You, need, you feel like you need a miracle in the moment, and God is saying, go take a walk. And you have to believe that God is good every step of the way. You have to move beyond fascination, interest, a desire to see him as a tool to believing, okay, God, you said this, God, you said this, God, you said this, God, you said this. He hears the word of the Lord, and he believes it. The man goes from fascination in Jesus, the miracle worker, to faith in Jesus, the Son of God. And and the good news is, at the end of the story, he does heal the, right? He heals the Son. Okay, good. This would be a very different story if that had not been the case. He does perform the miracle. It says that, uh, verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said, yesterday at the seventh hour, it's around one o'clock p.m., the fever left him, and the father knew that was the hour that Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And it says again, he himself believed in his household with him. The healing as as important as it was wasn't the main point. And as we as we as we emphasize miracles, uh, let me stress the fact that you know what it's interesting that John doesn't use the word miracles. He uses the word sign. Because miracles are not the point. The scary thing is you could experience the power of God over and over and over but if you don't trust in the word of God, in the end, you're, you're still in a very precarious situation, to put it lightly. It's the word of God that brings life. I, I mentioned this last week, and I'll, I'll mention it again. John writes that the purpose of his book is not so that we would be wowed by the miracles. It's not so that we could say, man, Jesus is really powerful. That's neat. Wow, I wonder what would that have been like? Wow, that's cool. What kind of wine was it? Wow. It's a valid question. But it's not the point. He says in chapter 20, verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may, what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Life comes Eternal life, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. That kind of life comes from belief in Jesus, not interest or fascination in Jesus. You can be interested in, in, in Obama. You can be interested in, in uh, whoever the latest celebrity is. You can be fascinated by plants. You can be interested in, in how cars work, but you have to have faith in Jesus. There's an important shift that the official has. As I said before, the, the, the Samaritans, it's interesting that the Samaritans who should have been kind of on the outside were shown to be on the inside. Those who, who were intended to be kind of, they were looked at like, well, they could never receive God. They, they received Jesus because they believed him. However, this official, he had to go from fascination to faith. As I said, the world is fascinated by Jesus. The world is fascinated by, you might be fascinated by Jesus. You may have grown up in church and thought, yeah, I'm a Christian. I was born, I am born a Christian. You know, I I know all about Jesus. I've got a poster. I remember when I was a kid, I love my parents and they're good and, you know, they were trying to do what they could. Uh, and so you grow up as a Christian kid, and, and you go to youth group, and you, you still want to be kind of like edgy. I don't know. So I had this shirt. It was like extra large, and I was believe it or not, I was like super skinny. I'm not sure how that passed the whatever. They didn't do. It was not helpful, and it was like this hardcore, you know, muscly Jesus, lots of blood everywhere. He was like, ah, I know about Jesus. And maybe you, you maybe got a familiarity with Jesus. I know about Jesus. I know about Jesus. I know about church. I know about how I'm supposed to act at church. I know about how I'm supposed to live. I know about, you know, what, what the church ladies are expecting of me. So act a certain way. But we don't have faith in Jesus that, that causes us to live differently. Interest in Jesus is not the same thing as submission to him as savior of the world. And in the end, I'm, I'm thankful to say that the official makes the shift. But what about, what about you? You know, where are you today? When you come to him, do you come to him as the, the divine problem solver or as Lord? As Master? And please hear me, Jesus is merciful. So if you need to come to him, come to him. We talked about that last week. Come to Jesus with your problems. He's a great problem solver, but he can't just be a problem solver. He, he solves problems in order to get you to him. I hate to break it to you, family. He will create problems in order to bring it to you, bring you to him. He, he's just as happy to do that. James 1, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because it puts you on your knees. Come to him with your problems. It's entirely possible that he orchestrated them. He's not the author of evil, but he is sovereign over it. If you don't understand that, welcome to the club. (laughs) Just believe what the Bible says, hold the tensions, and don't try to fix it. When you make decisions about your life, do you weigh your desires against what the Word of God has spoken and said? You say, "You know what? This is how I feel. God, this is what you say. Let's uh, let's let's get the best of both worlds." Or do you say, "You know what, God? Your will be done." Do you approach Jesus for something else, or do you allow the difficulties of life to usher you into His presence as a way of knowing Him more? Do you approach Jesus when you need something else? You know, I'm hungry, I need a sandwich, Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm hurting, I need a healing, Jesus. I'm lonely, I need a, a relational fix, Jesus. Or in these moments, do you recognize the fact that God is inviting you into deeper relationship with him? I don't struggle with any of these things, I'm just talking about you guys. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm right there with you. These are, these, are, these are the invitations that God gives us to know him. We're all in the process of growing in greater faith in Jesus. I mean, some of us are in the fascination place. And and to you, I would say, please believe the words, not just be interested in the benefits of Jesus Christ. Because here, there's no saving relationship. But even, even those of you who've been walking with the Lord for years... You have moments of saying, God, I, I follow you, I trust you, I believe you, but could you just come through for me in this one area? Could you just, in this, this desire for, just just get on my agenda, right? All of the rest of my, this is, the Ten Commandments are on my agenda, Jesus, so I'm right there with you, but this one little eleventh thing, can I, can, we, can we agree on this one thing? And I think today he's inviting you to submit those things to him, Not necessarily to give those things up, but to recognize that he's not someone, he's not someone to say, hey, come here, but he's someone to say, God, would you have mercy on me? To have a disposition of, of submission. Would you allow the circumstances of your life to draw you to Jesus, not just your miracle worker, but Savior and Lord of the world? And would you believe his word today? That's the invitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we come to you and we thank you for Jesus once more. And I pray that you would you would make me more quick to get on your page. God, would you destroy the agendas that I try to hold up to you as though we were co-leaders. God, would you help me to, to feel and appreciate the joy of submitting to your will? Lord, I thank you for, for your words in Joshua that when we, when we hold on to your word, that then we'll be successful when we meditate not on our own plans, our own ideas, but your word, is, it dwells within us richly. That's when be, you can begin to do a work in us. And God, I pray that we would become intimately familiar with your word, that we would know Jesus and that we would know the words of your scriptures which testify to him and that we would submit ourselves to them. And like the Samaritans, God, would we receive them with joy and believe them? God, I pray for those in this room who are navigating problems, who like the, the official, they, they have a real life issue that they want to bring to you. And Jesus, I pray that you would have mercy on them, That you would grant life for them. That you would answer their prayer as yes. And at the same time, God, I pray that they would experience the joy of submitting to you as Lord in the process. That it would not be a transactional moment where where they put in a prayer and they get out a response. But it would be a place of, of, of knitting together souls. Where they've drawn their pain to you. They've brought their pain to you. And in the process, they've come closer to you where they've, they've been through the storm and on the other side, they have a greater level of faith in the God of the storm. God, I pray that you would found this church, that you would found this congregation, that you would found the lives of these believers on your word. That we would take the words that you say, that we would believe them and then step by step by step, we would step out in faith. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. Today is the day to to recognize that you are a sinner, and although you may have fascination, fascination does not save you from the consequences of your sin and the judgment of your sin. Jesus invites us and says that if anyone will trust in me, in other words, if you will turn away from everything you know to be sin and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He will give you eternal life. If that's you, if you want to believe for that today, I want you to raise your hand and respond in faith. Great. Once those hands are up, you can put them back down. That's great. I see those hands. It's not the raising of your hands that does the work. It's trusting in Jesus. So we're going to pray a prayer. I want you to pray with me as a way of expressing what God is doing in your heart. Jesus... Say it with me. I trust in you. I turn away from everything I know to be sin. And I thank you for the eternal life that you have given me through your life, death, and resurrection. Help me to walk step by step believing your word. Amen. If that was you, we'd love to talk to you after service to help you in that process of walking. God, I pray for those who are wrestling with God for those who are waiting to see the promise fulfilled. And Jesus, I pray that you would give them sustenance, encouragement, tenacity, perseverance, and power to believe you at your word and to trust your word and allow that word to make war against their circumstances and to make war against the unbelief that, that tries to rise up. God, I pray that you would make us warrior people who believe you by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, family.